You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see you. Pastor Danny here. If you're new, I'm Pastor Danny. So good to see you guys. And what a great group we've got today. I just came from Femic Island, our Femic Island campus, and wonderful full crowd there today. And we've added on some parking down there, and that's all going well. Last Sunday, I was at the Rehoboth campus and gave uh, greetings from you guys to them. They're doing so well as well. But so good to see you. 15 days to Christmas. Who is ready? You're all ready. Got it all done. Got it all wrapped up. All good to go. How many? Like you haven't started. You're in big trouble. Some of you are with me on that, but anyhow, so good to see you and glad you're here. And um, thank you for helping our children. We're adopting 75 children in our community. Most of those folks are on the western side of the county, and many of you are uh, adopting children to give them a Christmas. Last Christmas, uh, Justin, uh, the guy that's helping us direct this, Justin Gillette, delivered Christmas on Christmas Day presents to a family that was living in a hotel in Laurel there, and uh, they knew he was coming, and they they were living in a hotel, this family, in this little hotel room, and they ran out into the parking lot and opened the presents in the parking lot. They were so excited. So thank you for what you're doing, helping kids for Christmas, and we know you guys are doing a wonderful job. And also, uh, Corey mentioned the, the Roots campaign. This is the end of the year giving. If you want to bless Bayshore to expand, do more uh, in our community, thank you for helping us with that. So we're in a series uh, called Christmas Before Jesus, and uh, this is the uh, Christmas passages in the Old Testament, how uh, Christmas was something that just didn't happen, but Christmas was predicted in the Old Testament. We've been looking at the different passages. Pastor Jeff did a wonderful job last week talking about the Christmas star, and today we're going to be talking about the virgin birth, how it was predicted in the Old Testament long time before it actually happened in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. So that text is found in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 25. And uh, when I talked about Bethlehem a few weeks ago, we talked to Micaiah, Micah the prophet, uh, 5-2, out of you Bethlehem will come a king that will rule forever, whose origins are from old. Micah, or Micaiah, was a contemporary with Isaiah, meaning that uh, 700 years ago, uh, these two prophets were prophesying about what was going to happen at Christmas. So that's amazing. 700 years, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. So think about it this way. Our country is about 200 years old. So that's more than three and a half times, about three and a half times longer than we've existed as a country that uh, the prophecies of Isaiah were given to predict the coming of Jesus. So let's look at um, Isaiah 7, 1 through 25. This gives us the background and gives us the scripture where we get the promise of Jesus being born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 1 through 25. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, and the son of Josiah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, that would be the same as Syria, and Pekah, king of Ramallah, king of Israel, son of Ramallah, uh, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. 
Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and the people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son share Jasbub uh, to meet Ahaz at the end of the upper aqueduct, uh, aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce, their fierce anger, resonant Aram and the sons of Ramallah, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramallah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabel king over it. Yet this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Ramallah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David, is it not enough that you try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. He will be, he will be uh, eating curds and honey when he knows enough to be rejected the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Syria. And then let's read Matthew real quickly, Matthew 1, 20 through 23, where this verse is uh, fulfilled in the New Testament. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 of Matthew 1 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're going to be talking today about the, the virgin birth and what that means. Some of you grew up like I did in a Methodist church where, uh, or a liturgical church where you said the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, uh, and you mentioned in the Apostles' Creed how he was born of a virgin uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We said that uh, every Sunday as we grew up in church. But this is a really, really hard thing to understand when you think about the birth of Jesus being born of a virgin. That's an incredible concept for us to think about. A very unusual birth. In fact, the most unusual birth in all of history. 
There's never been a birth like the birth of Jesus, completely different. Now, there's been some strange uh, ways that people have been born before, people that have had children before. In fact, there's a woman uh, back in, I think it was 2011, a gal named Amy Miller, who uh, actually had a baby after she ran a marathon. Now, that's a pretty interesting thing. She was 27 years old, 39 weeks pregnant, and she ran the Chicago Marathon, and when she crossed the finish line, she went into labor, went to the hospital, and had a little girl. Now, that's pretty pretty amazing. That's a really uh, incredible thing. She talked to her doctor beforehand. She was an avid runner. This was her seventh marathon. And she had been running regularly during her pregnancy. And her doctor said, well, make sure you hydrate and you drink lots of fluid uh, and make sure you eat along the way. But you should run 13 miles and then walk the second part. So she ran a marathon and then had a baby. It's not enough to have a baby. She ran a marathon before she had a baby. I remember when uh, Karen had our first child. My goodness, that's something, you know. I was like, thank God I'm a man. I don't have to do that. That's terrible. But this woman ran a marathon and then had a baby. So that's an unusual uh, birth for sure, running a marathon and then having a baby. Then there's the oldest woman in the world that had a baby, the oldest woman in the world that had a baby. She was 73 years old and had a baby. Now, here's the thing. She just didn't have a baby. She had twins, twins, a woman from India. Her name is... uh, Aramatai uh, Maganuma, something like that. 73 years old and had a baby, uh, had twins at 73 years old. Unusual birth. Then you have the biggest baby ever born. The biggest baby ever born. Now, the biggest baby ever born was born in Canada, weighed 22 pounds. 22 pounds. And the woman lived. That's the thing you need to remember. <laughs> the woman lived, so that's good. And uh, she, was, she was a big lady herself, seven over seven feet tall. And she had this big baby, 22 pounds and change. So that's a lot. So unusual births are, you know, we hear them in history. But there's no birth as unique as the birth of Jesus, born of a virgin. Now, Karen and I were sitting at the restaurant yesterday. We got to eat at the new Nectar restaurant in Millsboro. Highly recommend it. All excited about it. It's where the Blue Water Grill used to be. You're going to love Nectar. It's amazing. And we were sitting there, and I was talking to her about, like, the complexity of trying to explain the virgin birth and how that fits into, you know, the Bible and all that. And we were talking about it. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to understand the whole virgin birth, what, what it's about. It's, it's inter- interestingly, it's not mentioned in the Gospel of Mark at all. Mark is probably our first gospel, and it, Mark doesn't even mention the virgin birth. But he does say this, interestingly, in chapter 6 of uh, Mark, when he talks about Jesus, he says, Jesus, the son of Mary. Jesus, the son of Mary. That little verse there, uh, in those times, you would never say a son's name, the son of the mother. You would always say... Jesus, or the Son, the Son of the Father. But there's that little hint in the Gospel of Mark that there was something unique about Jesus' birth, and everybody in Nazareth knew it, that Joseph wasn't really his father. So that's an interesting thing. Then you read 
In Galatians chapter 4, we quoted that, Galatians 4, 4, a couple times. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Now, that's an interesting thing. Why wouldn't you say born of parents or born of a husband and a wife? But it says, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. So you have this unique thing. And the question I had is what is the significance of the virgin birth? The apostle Paul doesn't mention it. And we have it in, we have it in Matthew's gospel, and we have it in Luke's gospel, and then we have it predicted in the book of Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. So what is the significance of it? Uh, and so here's what has been said. One of the things that's said is that Jesus had to be born of a virgin because he could not have a sinful nature. The Holy Spirit had to overshadow Mary because Jesus couldn't have a sinful nature. How many know we all have a sinful nature? You know, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And my little grandson, Nixon, he's in trouble a lot. Sometimes he's the sweetest boy in the world. And he said to his daddy one time, he said, Daddy, I don't know why I do the things I do. He said that. And we know why he does the things he does. It's because he's a little sinner. He's a little sinner. And um, your sweet little grandkids, they're little sinners. That's what they are. We are all born in original sin. So the idea was Jesus had to be born of a virgin so he would not have a sinful nature. But that would imply that only the sinful nature comes from a male, that it's the male that produces the sinful nature in a child in the, uh, in the procreated act. And we know that that would basically say that women don't have a sinful nature, and we know women have a sinful nature. How many know that your wife has a sinful nature? Can you say a big amen? You've seen her in her sinful nature. So that doesn't really fly. It doesn't really work. And, and I've always kind of like, that's got to be it. But you know why Jesus was born of a virgin? He is the most unique person in the universe. He was, he was, his birth was unique because Jesus is unique. His birth began with a miracle. His life was filled with miracles. And his life ended with a miracle, his resurrection. So the virgin birth tells us that there's nobody like Jesus in all of the world. There's never been anybody like Jesus. There'll never be anybody like Jesus. Jesus is unique. His birth's uniqueness point to his uniqueness as a person. Now, you can think about all the great people in history. There's a movie out on Napoleon right now. I haven't seen it. Um, you, know, you think about Napoleon. You think about George Washington. You think about Abraham Lincoln. You think about all these great people. Winston Churchill. You think about all these great people in history. But they're all just people. And they all have a dark side. And they all have failures and flaws. But Jesus was unique. And it says in John's gospel, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, you know, it says about you that we are sons and daughters of the living God. So God has other sons and daughters. We're part, we're part of God's family. You are a son or daughter of God. You are, you are part of God's family. Say this with me now. I am a child of God. So you're a son or daughter of God, but nobody's a son like Jesus is a son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, which means one of a kind. So he was born of a virgin to indicate that he is unique and there's nobody else like Jesus.
And so we get that wonderful promise. So it wasn't that he was born of a virgin so he wouldn't have a sinful nature. He didn't have a sinful nature, but that's not why he was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin because when you think about your, your life experience and all the stuff you go through, there's one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. Jesus is unique. He's incredibly uh, special. There's nothing like Jesus. He's the firstborn, meaning that he has all the inherited rights of God's kingdom and his family, that God the Father and God the Son have lived and coexisted together through all eternity. I remember uh, thinking about, you know, that we mentioned the Big Bang a couple weeks ago, about 3.8 billion years ago, when life supposedly began and the, the universe began in a flash of heat, and there was light. And before all of that, there was the, the Lord who created everything. Why is there something? Why is there something? Why is there material in this planet? Why are there trees? Why is there an ocean? Why is there a planet where you and I can breathe in the oxygen? There is something because there was always someone. When Jesus came to Bethlehem, if he was just born in a normal way, it would show he had a beginning, but he had no beginning. He is unique. So I want you to think about that. So the prophecy is given uh, to this king named Ahaz in the Old Testament. And that's where we get the uh, Matthew quotes uh, Isaiah 714. Uh, and this will be a sign. Here's what it says in 714. This will be a sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign that the Messiah has come? And the word you there is not you as one person like Ahaz. It was you, plural. God has given all of us a sign. The sign, and the sign is the virgin who will conceive and have a child and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. So here's the thing about this prophecy. It was given in a point of time, and it's what's called a double prophecy. Meaning that when Isaiah was saying that, Isaiah was predicting something that was going to happen in his time, but he also was pointing to something that was going to happen way in the future. So that's why when it says the virgin will conceive a child, the word virgin there is the word ama. Ama in the Hebrew means a young maiden. Doesn't necessarily mean a woman that's never had sex with a, a man. It doesn't mean that. It could mean that, probably means that, but it doesn't specifically mean that. So when Isaiah is, is receiving, given the prophecy to Ahaz, he's talking about a child that's going to be born in his time that's going to be able to stand against the, uh, the, the Syrians and the Israelites to protect them, and there's going to be a child that God's going to anoint in his time. That's why they use the word Amma because it has a double prophecy. It's going to be fulfilled in Isaiah's time, but also supernaturally in the future. So the word virgin in this text doesn't necessarily mean a virgin, someone that's never had a child, never had, never had uh, sexual relationships with a man. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? And some scholars and some people say, well, there you go. There you go, we're making up this, you know, this whole thing of what Matthew's making up. is making up this, he's taking it and he's twisting the story. 
But there's a whole lot of interesting things about that. Here's an interesting thing about that. There's a thing called the Septuagint. Everybody say Septuagint. Now try it again. You didn't do that very good, so let's do that again. Everybody say Septuagint. Now, here's what the Septuagint was. It means 70, what it means. The Septuagint was uh, 250 years before Jesus was born. There was uh, all these scholars down in Egypt, Alexander, Egypt, 70 scholars, got together and they translated the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, translated it into Greek. And when they translate Isaiah 7:14, unto us a child is given, or not, that's Isaiah 9, but uh, this will be a sign, a virgin will conceive a child and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. When they translate that, they use the word parthenos, which is the word for virgin that means a woman that's never had intimate relationships with a man. Now, they're Hebrew scholars. Why would they do that? Well, the Holy Spirit is at work as this thing is unfolding. And the Holy Spirit, as they're translating this, they don't use a word that means young woman. They, they use a word that means a virgin, someone that's never had uh, intimate relationships. And when, I, when Matthew was writing and all that, they all know how that has been translated. So an interesting thing. So the promise is given that a virgin will give birth to a child, and that child will be named Emmanuel. So here's what's happening when the prophecy is given. There's this guy named Ahaz. He's the king of Judah. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And above him, Ahaz is in the south. And above him are two kings. There's the Pekah, king of Israel. And there's Rezin, king of Aram or Syria. And they've formed a coalition. And they're going to come against, uh, they're going to come against uh, Ahaz and attack the city. And the Bible says that he's shaken with fear. He's shaken with fear. And all of Israel with him because he has this coalition that's coming against him. And we know from reading in other parts of the Old Testament, reading in 2 Kings 16, reading in 2 Chronicles 28, that not only does he have the threat of the northern kings, kings come in Pekah and uh, uh, Rezin. These, uh, we got Pekah, which is the king of Israel, and uh, Rezin, the king of Syria. Not only does he have that threat, but we know from the, from the uh, west coming east, the Philistines are attacking him. We also know from other texts that the Edomites from below are coming against him. So this guy is being surrounded with trouble, and he's struggling He's afraid. He's having a hard time. He's so fearful because all of this trouble is coming his way. Let me ask you something. Is this true for you? That your life sometimes is just trouble-free? You just like, have you ever been in a season where everything is so good, everything is wonderful, things are just working out good? I have seasons like that where I'm doing good and everything is good and I'm preaching good and that's because I'm getting sermons off greatsermons.com, you know, it's, everything's going good. <laughs> and I'm doing, I'm, my tennis game is good, I'm not hurt, I'm not unhealthy, my family's good, everything is good. I just love seasons like that, where it's, it's summertime, everything's wonderful, and then sometimes something happens, there's something bad, a storm cloud appears in my life, something happens that I'm not anticipating, and you know what I've discovered? 
when I have one problem, it doesn't usually come by itself. There's other problems that come with it. Have you noticed that? It's not only you don't only have problems with, with Pekah the king, you got Rezin, you got the Edomites, the Philistines, you got a bunch of things happening all at once. And that's what seems to happen in our life. And, uh, you know, that's why I had to sing today that song, This Is How I Fight My Battles. When I feel like I'm surrounded, I remind myself that I'm surrounded by you. And when Ahaz, this king, has all of these problems and he's surrounded with all of these difficulties, He's, uh, he's got all this stuff going on around him. And I'm, I know that I'm speaking today, and as I'm speaking, there's somebody here. There's some people here today that you are in a season of your life where it seems like wave after wave of challenges are coming your way. It's like the book of Job. When you read the book of Job, it says that, you know, the servants came and they said, you know, uh, the, the Chaldeans came and stole all your sheep and stole all your camels. And it says, while they were speaking, another servant came and said, and your house burned down. And while they were speaking, another servant came and said, a tornado come and killed all your children. And it's like one thing after another. And that's how our life seems to happen sometimes. It's like a juggler. You know, you got a juggler. You got one pin you can throw up. I think I could do that. You can throw that one pin up. But then you add another pin to it. That's a little harder. Then you add a third pin. That's a little hard. Four pins. You got all this stuff happening. And some of you feel like that right now. But what did Ahaz do when he was going through difficulty? He was going through trouble. Well, you know what you're supposed to do when you're going through trouble? When you're going through trouble, we're supposed to call upon the Lord. The Bible says in the book of James, is any one of you in trouble, he should pray. Is anybody in trouble, he should pray. Uh, you know, sometimes when we get in trouble, it's like we don't pray. We, like, we, got, like, we got all this stuff going on. And I know when we got a physical problem, man, you want to see that doctor? That's so important to go see your doctor. Um, I got a plantar fasciitis I've been working on and got these new tennis shoes. They've been like sent from God. I'm feeling so much better and all that. And, uh, but I talked to my doctor. I said, oh, my goodness, you know, I need to get this worked on. And when we have trouble in our life, we, we, we turn to all these things. So we got financial problems. We turn to our financial resource person. That's all good. Should do that. When you got problems in, you know, your life, you talk to your counselor, you definitely want to do that. All that stuff is, you want to bring all those resources in. But I want you to know this, your primary resource, and my primary resource is the Lord. When we're in trouble, we call out to the Lord. We seek the Lord with all of our heart. We go after the Lord. We say, Lord, you know, it says in the Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, all your ways acknowledge him. But what did Ahaz, what did this guy, this Judean king do when he was in trouble? Well, when we read around it, read the scriptures around it, he appealed to the Assyrian king. He appealed to the Assyrian king. Uh, the uh, king was uh, uh, Tilgath-Pileser. And instead of turning to the Lord, he turns to the Assyrian king, takes gold out of the, king, uh, the, king, uh, the, the temple, and he pays this Assyrian king to try to protect him, and the Assyrian king ultimately turns on him. So when he's in trouble, he turns to the wrong source first. Say this with me. The first source I turn to is always the Lord. One more time. The first source I always turn to is the Lord himself. So what do we see in Ahaz's life? We see him, he appeals to something other than the Lord. 
He doesn't get the Lord's uh, help with his life, and he's going, he's looking at these other resources to help him and take care of him and all of that. And many of you have heard me, this, heard me tell the story about my, uh, uh, about the, the Charles Blondin. I've told this story a million times, so please forgive me, those of you who heard it 500 times, but uh, Charles Blondin was this uh, incredible uh, acrobat, French acrobat, that uh, in the uh, 1800s would walk across Niagara Falls. He would put a wire that was a quarter of a mile across the Niagara Falls from the, the, the American side to the Canadian side, 160 feet above the water, and the mist of the water would come up. And Charles Blonde and hundreds of people, in fact, in I think it was 1848, hundreds of people came to watch him. And what he did was uh, he walked across that wire, not just like a normal person. He put stilts on once and walked across. And everybody was amazed, never seen anything like that. They put a stove out there. And he went out and he walked out and he cooked an omelet on top of the Niagara Falls on the wire. He rode a bike across. And his most famous thing is the wheelbarrow, pushing the wheelbarrow across. Hundreds of people on the American side, hundreds of people on the Canadian side. And they're all cheering for him. They're amazed. They've never seen anything like it. July of 1848. And he pushes the wheelbarrow all the way across to the to the Canadian side, and then he turns around, and he comes all the way to back to the American side, and everybody's cheering. And then he said, who believes I can push one of you in the wheelbarrow across to the other side? And everybody looked down, and nobody was looking around because nobody wanted to make eye contact with him. The problem is we have this, we have this uh, theoretical view of God that God is God in a theoretical sense, not in a practical sense. And so that's what Ahaz did. Ahaz did this where he was not completely engaged in uh, following the Lord and seeking the Lord. And the other thing about this guy that received the prophecy, Ahaz, was Ahaz was the most wicked king that you could imagine. And here's the thing. You would think that this wonderful prophecy given by Isaiah about the virgin birth when been given to a good king. But the Bible doesn't say anything good about Ahaz at all. In fact, it, it, just, it just shows how he was the, maybe the worst king you could probably ever have. And he receives this wonderful promise about the virgin birth and the coming of Jesus. Now, what we know about Ahaz is we know that he uh, worshipped some of the Canaanite gods, and there was a valley along Jerusalem called the Hinnom Valley, and in the valley, there was a, a Canaanite god named Moloch, and they would literally sacrifice children to Moloch on these altars. And it says of Ahaz that he sacrificed his son on the altar, sacrificed his son on the altar. But then if you read Chronicles, Chronicles 28, 2 Chronicles 28, which gives more commentary on what he did, it says he sacrificed his children. So we've got this wicked king that he does that. And then he sets up all these idols in Jerusalem, and he actually goes to Syria, and he copies one of their altars and brings the altar back, and he, and he takes all the furniture out of the temple, and he cuts it up, and he closes the door of the temple. So this is like the worst king you could ever have. 
And if Yelp was going to rate him, he wouldn't even get one star. He's a terrible king. So why would God give the most incredible prophecy to such a wicked king? I think the reason that Ahaz, this wicked, wicked king, received this wonderful prophecy was because God wanted to show that Jesus came of a virgin to save the worst of us. Jesus came as a virgin to save not the best of us, but the worst of us. Jesus came to save us when we are at our worst, not when we're at our best. If you think about your life, you think about the stuff you've done in your life. You think about the things that's happened in your life. Jesus didn't come for the best version of you. Jesus came for the worst version of you. He came for the Ahaz part of you that is dark and not good. It's like when you go to uh, the DMV and you get your picture taken of the DMV. How many love that picture? Isn't that a good picture? When you go to the DMV and get your picture taken, they have you stand on the line. You're not quite ready, and, and you know, they take a picture of it. And nobody comes home and says, I'm going to get that frame. That is so good. It's the worst picture. Uh, and that's, that's the picture of you that Jesus came for. He came for you when you were at your worst. He came for you and me when we were like Ahaz. And God could have chose a good king to give the prophecy about the virgin birth to, but he came to an evil king, a wicked king, to give that prophecy to, because it's symbolic that Jesus came to save the worst of humanity. And all of us have those terrible, terrible days. We have those moments where we have not been godly. We have those moments when we have not been like Jesus. We have those moments in our past. Everybody has a past. Every time a politician runs for office, the, all the investigators pull out all the, the, the stuff out of their closet and put it up so everybody can see it. And we're all supposed to be all shocked. Let me, let me ask you a question. Maybe you won't feel comfortable raising your hand, but how many have some skeletons in your closet that Jesus has dealt with? Will you say a big amen? He, is a, he, he came for that. And so Ahaz was the king that was in power when the virgin birth was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So he came, the prophecy came to a king that did not trust the Lord when he needed to trust the Lord. The prophecy came to a king that was wicked and evil. And it was that wicked and evil king that received the promise of the coming of Jesus. There's this uh, great hymn writer, a guy named John Newton. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton, born in uh, 1725, he was, uh, his mother was a, uh, her name was Elizabeth. She was a Christian, godly woman, uh, and she died when John Newton was seven years old. John Newton was sent to a, uh, sent to a boarding school. His father remarried. He didn't get along with the stepmother and all that drama. And when he was 11 years old, he was sent off to sea to work on ships. And he was around all that, the, the cursing and all the immorality of the sailors. 
and he grew up uh, hardened and wicked and evil. And uh, he was just a mess, and he was cruel. And he finally got a job serving on a, on a slave ship. And he became, went up the ranks as, a, as the captain of the ship, and he would sail those slave ships. And, and, and they would do, here's the thing, they would take those, those African slaves and they would put them in the, the cargo of the ship, 600. And they would lay them side by side in rows so they could get more in there. And John Newton was overseeing all of that. And John Newton, when there was a sick slave... This is what happened in those days. We don't remember the atrocity of what that was about. But when there was a sick slave, they would take that slave out of the bow of the ship and throw him overboard because he would infect the rest of the cargo. And so John Newton was all a part of that. And then 1748, he's, he's sailing his ship. And as he's sailing his ship, they get into a ferocious storm. And the storm becomes... Uh, just very threatening. And John Newton remembers his mother's prayers. He remembers what his mother taught him about Jesus. And in the storm, he began to cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. And the Lord began to save and work in John Newton's life. He didn't quit running those slave ships overnight. He just didn't quit that. He justified it in his mind that, you know, it was a legal thing and it was providing for people in America, North America. But year after year, his heart became convicted of that. He felt ashamed of what he was doing. He was destroying people's lives. So he had a, an epileptic seizure, and he felt it was a sign from God that he was supposed to give up being on the slave trip and uh, ship, and he quit. And he met uh, George Whitfield, the great preacher in England, and his, he grew in his faith, and he ended up going in, and on, in the ministry. And Parliament called him... Parliament called him before Parliament to talk about the slave trade. And Wilbur Wilforce, Wilberforce, that, uh, William Wilberforce, that influenced the change of slavery in, in Great Britain, came to John Newton, this former slave owner, and began to be mentored by him. And he wanted to leave Parliament because of all the stress in Parliament. He said, you stay in Parliament because God has sent you there to change the, the laws about slave trade. And that's exactly what he did. But in uh, 1773, John Newton's getting ready to preach a sermon on New Year's Day. And he's preaching out of 1 Chronicles 16. And he writes a hymn to go with the sermon. And the hymn is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. He wasn't saved by grace. He was saved by amazing grace. So the promise of the coming of the virgin birth and the coming of Jesus is situated in history around the most wicked king because Jesus came to save the worst. Paul said, 
Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. And God saved me, the chief of sinners, so that all other sinners will know that there is hope for them. And God's grace is sufficient. Say it with me. Let's quote the Isaiah 7:14. Let's quote this out loud, our Christmas verse today. Isaiah 7:14. For a sign will be given to you that a virgin that will give birth to a child and you shall call his name Emmanuel which means God is with us would you lift your hands to the Lord let the Holy Spirit move in you and speak to you today he loves you cares about you has not forgotten you he saved you out of the darkness and brought you into light Long before Jesus ever came, his manner of birth was predicted. Father, we thank you for the wonderful power of your word, that it is true, that you're not just a historical figure, but you're unique in all of history. There's no one else like you. No one was ever born like you were born. No one was ever uh, came to this planet like you came to this planet. There's no one else like you. There's none like you. So Jesus, on this Christmas, as we celebrate the goodness of Jesus, we celebrate that you've come to save us and help us. We ask your blessing on us. I pray for people right now that are receiving the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, as the Holy Spirit overshadows you and speaks to you, just the way Mary received Jesus as the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, the Holy Spirit overshadowing your heart now that you can receive Christ. And we just thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking Give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.